Live from New York, coming up, President Biden expects the U.S. to avoid recession. Credit Suisse flagging substantial losses in 2023. And Disney cutting 7,000 jobs as Bob Iger looks for savings. We begin with the big issue, corporate discipline returns. Obviously, you're seeing some margin pressure here. The recent layoffs. You've seen the cost cutting. As companies are trying to figure out, how do I manage my balance sheet? Companies are going to lay off workers when there's margin pressure. They're focusing on the cost cutting. Look, you know, they're doing what they need to do to maintain profitability. The band-aid ripped off. The primary lever that they have to pull to defend their margins is reducing their, their labor footprint by reducing their, their employee expenses. Protect free cash flow. What I see is just broad-based margin pressure. Margin pressure are going to be a significant headwind. The cost cuts can only get you so far. This is all about execution now. Two key words right now, disconnect and discipline. Crowell's Megan Green joins us. Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. Megan, first to you. Let's talk about a disconnect. Do you see a disconnect at the moment between what you hear from the C-suite in America and what you see in the economic data? Yeah, absolutely. Clearly, with the last uh, jobs data being so incredibly strong, um, there's also a disconnect with headlines, right? We hear a lot about layoffs uh, in the media, but it's not particularly broadly based. I do agree, though, that it could turn on a dime. So I do think that the labor market has held up so well, in part because there is a lot of labor hoarding. We don't really know how to measure it, right? It's, it's anic data more than anything else, but we do know that it's happening. And so it is possible that as corporate earnings fall because rates continue to go up. Companies decide they're not going to hang on to those workers until the other side of this. They can't. They may capitulate, lay people off. And then I think we would get a, a broad-based downturn. In fact, that's what I think would push us into a recession, even more so than you know household savings being whittled down. If people start losing their jobs or their friends start losing their jobs, that's when they really retrench and consumption is about 70% of our GDP. So I think that would be the real spark. It's just impossible to guess when it might actually happen because we haven't gone through this kind of labor hoarding before. Looking at the numbers for jobless claims, and that's where you'd look for signs of weakness, 196,000 is the print. Just to come to you on that, Jim Bianco, that's the first pickup in about six weeks, but still, sub 200K. There's some pretty stellar numbers, aren't they? Yeah, those numbers are very good. You know, you would not associate any kind of a slowdown or recession with uh, the planes numbers being that low. And as far as the layoffs go, for right now, the layoffs are really concentrated in tech and other high growth industries. After last year, I think a lot of these companies are being told it's time now that you start showing profitability or a path to profitability and you just can't keep hiring people and losing money or not making a whole lot of money and promising us that in down the road many years from now you will make money we want to see it now and keep in mind too with a lot of the layoffs that we're seeing um, these are announcements and we're going to lay off 7,000 people at Disney but that could be through attrition it can take a couple of years it's not going to happen all in one month uh, and so this will not really show up as some giant spurt uh, in the claims numbers. So, Jim, that's good news for some of these equities and maybe Meta. Facebook's a decent example of that. Discipline returns, the stock rallies. Lisa Shannon and Morgan Stanley said there was a massive disconnect in this equity market. She said history is not kind to these kinds of massive disconnects. Can you relate to that? Yes, I can, because when you see the, the market switch on a dime and tell companies that we're high-growth companies, don't worry about your profitability or your margins right now. We want to see big growth in the future. And now we're going to turn and say, okay, you need a new business plan. You need to start making money right away. 
That's easy to say. That's almost impossible for a lot of these companies to do. The managers, the culture has always been about trying to figure out a way to make money in five years or in 10 years, not to make money in the next three or four quarters. So it's going to be a, quite an adjustment for some of these companies. The other disconnect might be what's developing in the bond market and what's happening in equities right now. We've got a two-year, 10-year spread at negative 85 basis points. As I mentioned at the top of the show, that is the widest spread, the most deeply inverted yield curve going back to the early 1980s. Megan Green, what kind of signal can you take away from what's happening in the bond market right now? Yeah, I mean, a yield curve is an indicator that a recession is coming, but it, it doesn't give us any indication of what the choreography is, what the timing is, how deep it is. So just because the yield curve is even more inverted now, I, I wouldn't take that much from that. I think a better indication actually is the labor market. Um, it's a better indicator than any economist or the yield curve in terms of predicting a recession. If we see a jump in unemployment of a certain amount over a certain period, that's the best indicator for a recession. And as we've just mentioned, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing a, a deterioration in the labor market. And so, you know, the chances of a recession have gone down a little bit. That being said, I think we will see it as the Fed continues to, to ratchet up rates and also continues to shrink its balance sheet, which most people have kind of forgotten is happening in the background. But that is a significant <laughs> tightening as well. So I wouldn't worry so much about the yield curve. I would worry more about the labor market. We have hardly talked about QT. They wanted it to operate in the background, and maybe that's the way it's going, at least for now. Jim, I've always thought that if I'm willing to accept a yield that is 85 basis points lower on a bond with a maturity that is eight years longer, that there must be some kind of signal the market's sending to me. What kind of signal is it sending to you? Well, yeah, I mean, historically, as Megan said, you know, the signal is uh, that a recession or a downturn is coming, and that could be as, that could still be mid-24, could be as far as 18 months out in the future. And also, as Megan kind of alluded to, too, is that the more inverted the curve gets doesn't mean the worst recession. It's kind of all the same kind of signal, whether it's 20 basis points or minus 200 basis points. Uh, it doesn't signal that it's worse because it's more inverted. Uh, it does suggest a broad-based slowdown will be coming. That's what the market is anticipating. But I think what Wall Street's mistake is, is they think that's March or April. Okay, but it might be March or April of 24, or it might be June of 24. And I'm not so sure that Wall Street has the patience to see that the recession is going to maybe unfold a little bit slower and longer than they think. Well, corporate America's making a move. Disney, the latest, putting their cards on the table. We're looking at 7,000 jobs to go, $5.5 billion in cost savings, and the stock, Katie Lines, is rallying by 6.5%. Yeah, investors rewarding this in a huge way, John. It is so interesting to see these companies going from grow, whatever the cost, to shrink your costs as fast as you can. That kind of seems to be how the tide has shifted for corporate America. Now, for Disney in particular, as you said, $5.5 billion in cuts in total. $3 billion of that is coming from slicing their team. TV and movie budgets. Remember, this is a company that invested billions of dollars into streaming, trying to grow that business during the pandemic. And now Bob Iger is throttling back in a massive way, trying to focus instead on profitability and expanding those margins because we have not seen Disney's net income keep up with the rebound they've seen in sales, which is what is evidenced by this chart here. And this really is just a case of not trying to be a growth stock like Netflix, which initially was the ambition if you look back a few years ago. And we have seen these growth-oriented companies really across the making these kinds of changes. That's evidenced by the slew of layoff announcements we have gotten 
from the tech sector trying to cut costs, capture more profit, because we know companies universally are feeling that margin squeeze. Demand is slowing down in many areas, and costs from labor and beyond still remain elevated. So we have seen that margin contraction happening in the fourth quarter results that we've been getting, about 12.1% on average for S&P 500 companies. They're expected to stay tight in the current period. And yes, there is forecasted fattening uh, to come later on this year, John. But if you do want to expand those margins, you want that to happen, you kind of got to make some changes. These companies just aren't being rewarded to chase growth, to yeah. chase subscribers like they were in the last couple of years. Katie, thank you. They're being rewarded to cut costs, to protect margins. Apollo's Torsten Slock had this to say earlier this week, and we caught up with Apollo's Jim Salter and talked to him about this market environment. This is what Torsten had to say. From hard landing to a no landing, I want to explore that theme. From hard landing to a no landing, investors have been underperforming their benchmarks because they entered 23. Underweight equities expecting a slowdown that still hasn't happened. Megan, we've talked about a hard landing. You and I have gone over a soft landing a million times. What do you make of this theme, this phrase, no landing? Yeah, so, I mean, I think what he means by that is just, uh, you know, significant amounts of uncertainty. So, uh, as Jim alluded to, I think investors have expected a recession to come sooner than later. That was never going to happen, given the huge cash cushion among households and corporates in the U.S. economy. So, you know, I think there is a lot of uncertainty. Are we going into recession? Are we not? Have we already been in recession? This is an academic debate that mostly economists care about, I think. For most regular people, whether you're growing a little bit or contracting a little bit, it, it all feels the same. So, you know, I think this idea that we would have any landing at all in the first half of this year was always wrong. We might be in recession in the second half of this year. I, as I said before, I think that depends entirely on the labor market and also how the Fed responds to the labor market and to inflation. It's possible it's being pushed off a bit further. There's also a scenario where different sectors of the economy go into recession uh, at different times. So it's kind of a rolling recession. So we've already seen it uh, in manufacturing. Maybe we're seeing it in tech. Services will eventually be hit. In a way, that's a great scenario because the overall economy doesn't go into contraction. So we don't have an overall recession, but actually inflation is brought down. So to some degree, that, that may be what the Fed is actually hoping for. Um, but again, for regular people in those sectors, it, it's an academic debate, it's still pretty painful for them. For everyone else trying to follow, it's enough to make your head spin. Julian Emanuel of Evercore was on the program in the last 24 hours. He said, if you're not confused right now, you're not paying attention. Jim, are you confused? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, this is a post, <coughs> excuse me, post-COVID economy, as I like to call it. It has different traits and it has different characteristics to anything that we haven't seen before. You know, and the labor market is probably front and center, you know, the most confusing of them all. The uh, the data that we see, whether we're talking about claims or payrolls or the 3.4% unemployment or even ISM employment is confounding people because it's not showing any signs at all that the market is slowing. So that and a lot of other things about labor hoarding, as Megan talked about, that's a new concept that's mostly anecdotal and we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's been very confusing because it's been so unlike anything we've seen before. A phrase we keep going back to on this program, you can't fire what you couldn't hire. We're still trying to process the post-pandemic realities in the labor market. And then just to make everything even more confusing, China reopening. This is what Evan Brown and Luke Cowher have got to say over at UBS. Evidence of economic reaccelerating 
acceleration from US, China and Europe is a more powerful catalyst for markets going forward. Cyclical areas of the equity market have more room to run. That's the equity call from Karen and the team over at UBS with Evan Brown. Megan, your thoughts on this too? It's not just the post-pandemic labor market realities we still need to make sense of, but also the fact China's reopening and what kind of growth impulse will we be importing from China? Yeah, and I don't think it's just the growth impulse, it's the inflation impulse from China as well. But I would highlight that this reopening for China, this this uh, resumption of growth, it will look different than previous ones. In the past, they've been investment-driven. So that's driven a lot of demand for capital goods from China's trading partners. This time around, it's consumption-driven, and it's less that there's a massive stimulus and more that Chinese authorities have gotten rid of very restrictive policies. So you're not seeing a huge um, imbalance between supply and demand. And I don't think emerging in the Chinese economy. Uh, and, and again, it's consumption driven. So it will be domestic services driven. So in the past, when China's accelerated, it's, it's really boomed for the rest of us. This time around, I don't think we'll get that kind of boom. I think China will accelerate from around 3% growth last year to over 5% growth this year. It might be mildly inflationary for the rest of us, but we won't get the growth impetus or the inflation boost from China reopening that we've had in previous Chinese booms. Jim, final word on that. No, I agree with that. And in fact, if you look at the commodities markets, the, the idea was when China reopened, they would suck up all these commodities and out the other side would come a burst of finished goods. Well, the commodities markets aren't really responding. It's been now almost two months, two and a half months since the reopening was announced. And we're not seeing booming commodity prices. So as Megan was talking about, it may be more services, but we're not definitely seeing the, you know some big pull into uh, the process of making a lot of capital goods to go out the other side. So it's very different than I think we a lot of people expected just two months ago. Can I just say my new favorite thing is anecdotal data instead of anecdotal evidence. I just think that's brilliant. Megan, did you make that up? <laughs> no, I didn't. I wish. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Where's that from? Uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's yeah, it's just a, it's it's a concept now. we're using a lot now. It's yours uh, now. Because, thank you. But it's, it's, you know, the data's weird, and so we're having to rely on sentiment and ideas and we don't know how to measure that stuff. Megan, stick with us alongside Jim Bianco. Equity futures right now up three quarters of one percent. Coming up on the program, President Biden throwing the R word out the window. Do you think there's going to be a recession no. this year? No. That conversation up next. Just we were told I wasn't going to be able to pass the Inflation Reduction Act or the chip. We passed them all. People don't understand them, like, <clears throat> don't realize all of their past back in June, July, August, to September. It's only coming to fruition now. Do you think there's going to be a recession no. this year? No. Or next year. From the moment I got elected, how many of the experts are saying within the next six months there's going to be a recession? President Biden doubling down on his State of the Union address, reiterating his confidence in the U.S. economy and even name-checking Xi. Can you think of any other world leader in trade places with Xi Jinping? Not a joke. Can you think of any? Who would? I can't think of one. This man has enormous problems. Enormous. He has also great potential. But so far, he has, to, he has an economy that's not functioning very well. 
China's government didn't like it. The foreign ministry calling the remarks, quote, highly irresponsible and a violation of basic diplomatic protocols. They went on to say, we are firmly opposed to that and condemn it. Bloomberg's Anne-Marie down in D.C. AMH, what do you make of that? Well, the president is once again, Jonathan, taking aim not directly at China, but at Xi Jinping himself. This is basically a follow-on of what he said at the State of the Union, which was an ad lib. This was something he said off the cuff. It wasn't his prepared remark saying, name me one leader, want to trade places with Xi Jinping. And then in this interview, he talks about the, what he calls, quote, enormous problem Xi Jinping is facing. He looks at the domestic concerns uh, of, the of the economic complex in China right now, coming out of what many are calling a failed COVID zero policy. What is China facing? Very high unemployment rate when it comes to the youth. They're facing a downturn in the housing market. There's a number of issues this economy is facing, and I think the president is trying to get that across to the American people, because a lot of the times what we see Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party do is placate to nationalists and talk tough on the United States. But Biden's trying to point out that it's not all rainbows and butterflies over there in China. That's the international story. Let's talk about the domestic issues as well. AMH, the president has been baiting Republicans over one single issue. How have Republicans been responding to it? Yeah, this is Social Security and this is Medicare. And the president's going to do it once again today, Jonathan, because he is going to Florida. And, of course, it is the senator from Florida, Senator Rick Scott, who first put this proposal about potentially sunsetting um, these entitlement programs. Republicans do not like it because Speaker McCarthy said that he's come out and said that these issues, Social Security and Medicare, are not on the issue. So they are saying that the White House is playing politics, but not even, and the president, to his point, the State of the Union said he doesn't even think it's the majority of Republicans, but there are some members who brought this up. So they really want to make sure that they are taking this message to the American people, especially as the president is thinking about when he's going to announce his 2024 run. Looking forward to it. When are we going to get that announcement? Anytime soon? Maybe March, maybe April. Maybe May, maybe June. AMH down in Washington. <laughs> Anne-Marie, thank you. As always, Megan Green, Jim Bianco back with us. Now, drum roll, please, because every time I do this, people often reply with nothing. You said this, Megan Green. In your latest column in the FT, you said forget Groundhog Day vibes on the debt ceiling. This time it's different. Why is it different this time? Look, I think this time is different because we have a very clear destination. Uh, we need to lift the debt ceiling and absolutely no clear path to get there. So I actually think the risk of not lifting the debt ceiling uh, is much higher this time. I would put the probability at around 15%, which is shockingly high for such a catastrophic event. You also uh, said so investors I think it's must very different this time. Sorry, Megan, just to jump in, but you also said that investors must focus on it now. What should they focus on? They should focus on the risk uh, of a debt default. I mean, the longer investors are sanguine about it and just assume that politicians will stop dithering and, and you know figure this out and raise the debt ceiling, the less pressure there is on politicians to do it. You see a lot of glib comments, particularly out of the right wing of the Republican Party, saying, well, it's fine, we can just prioritize Treasury payments, it's not clear we actually can do that, or even that it's legal. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that the Fed might be able to do. Never mind that Jay Powell has called some of those um, mitigation efforts, you know, loathsome if we have to pull them out. So there, there's kind of a glib attitude among some of the politicians that we can just, you know, default. It's not a huge deal. And actually, given that, you know, we have the biggest, most liquid asset class in the world, and that the Treasury is a benchmark for a lot of other bonds, it would really royal U.S. 
and global markets. So I, I do think it's going to require market discipline to uh, focus minds and get politicians to agree on this. And that's not going to happen as long as investors aren't really worried about it and just assume that we'll end up with the best case scenario. Jim, do you agree? Uh, I'm going to take the other side of that. I think this is politics as usual. I think as long as the perception is one side loses on this debate, the Republicans, that there'll be a lot of histrionics. And like all politics, you know, when we get to, if June 5th remains the date, <clears throat> it'll be a couple of hours into June 6th when they'll have a deal and or something along those lines. Uh, but I don't think that right now that there is any heightened concern from investors, nor should there be. You know, you've had Rick Reeder on the show, and he says Wall Street's most concerned about the shark closest to the boat. And this is a shark that's well away from the boat right now. So if we're going to see investor discipline kind of force it on the market, it probably won't happen until late May. And this is the issue. And I guess this is the essence of your message, Megan, is that the market doesn't really care right now. You see that in the amount of guests that come on this program and say, eh, same story, witnessed this a million times. And ultimately, won't they carry on pushing the issue down in Washington until the market cares? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think that's right. And so this this would be the mother of all own goals. I, I said I think that there's a 15% probability that we won't lift the debt ceiling and we'll have some kind of default um, either on our treasuries or on the government's other payment obligations, you know, social security, firemen salaries, soldiers salaries. Either way, that's a, that's a shockingly high probability for such a catastrophic event. We cannot worry about it until all of a sudden it really is a big deal. Um, but I do think it would be better for the markets ultimately if actually investors focused on this now put some pressure on politicians to go ahead and figure out a deal. I'm, I'm not confident that that's going to happen, or I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen. I'm pretty confident that it won't. Yeah, you don't sound that optimistic at all. Megan Green, thank you, as always. Just brilliant to have you back on the program alongside the fantastic Jim Bianco there of Bianco Research. Coming up, morning calls and later, tech giants squaring off as the AI race heats up. It's Google versus Microsoft. Plus, we'll catch up with Canaccord's Tony's Wire.